Hey guys, this is the Hard Time Strongman Podcast, cheering up a bear class of man. And today we are bringing you our land nav crash course. So our crash course on land nav, we've tried land nav a couple times now, and we haven't really found the happy me of how we want to do it. So we're running through our Ranger handbook abridged, and that's about as much as I can handle for reading through an army FM for you okay. guys. So uh, we're... The way we're going to attempt this class is basically giving you hip pocket training. So like when we were team leaders, I'm going to pull out my little green book and we're just going to hit the highlights, everything that you guys need to know in theory to get off the ground with land nav. But first some housekeeping. So we've had a lot of developments, a lot of exciting developments in the show, in the business, and we've just grown so quickly, uh, so definitively that it's just, it's, you know, a, a huge honor for us to have so many of you guys listening to us and to see this outreach and see these DMs from people uh, talking about how we felt, how they like the show and everything. So we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And in that progression, we have opened up a Patreon, a Discord, a Substack. You can find all those links in our link tree. But the Patreon, as it stands now, mainly is a backup for all of our podcast episodes. So those are free for anybody. Those are public. Anybody can go on our Patreon and they can find our episodes. In the future, our episodes starting, what, six, with this episode this Saturday, your data episode? At the, at the time of yep. this recording, it'll be the 29th, right? Yep. Right. So we'll have, we'll already release the the data so right this will just be the follow-up right so from now going to the future all of our patrons will get our episodes one day early at least so they'll get our content earlier at the very least they'll have ad-free episodes so uh you won't hear from sponsors you'll just have content and what else also are we offering people on top of the ad-free content we're also going to have uh Patreon exclusive episodes. We're going to have uh, deep dives, stuff that we just don't want to ruin your attention span during these episodes. So we'll have like the full onslaught. Hope you, you know, took your Adderall because you're going to need it and stay awake because there's going to be so much information. It's going to be like an eight hour class. Buckle up. Here we go. Kind of thing. So yeah, buckle up. Here we go. But no, we're going to be offering that stuff. Um, I know we're, we're discussing, adding different tiers, allowing you guys to uh, directly steer the content. Right. So we're we're working that out. But for right now, yeah, that's about where we're at with the uh, early release episodes, uh, pre and post show. Yeah, and with the with Patreon exclusive episodes, the the point of of the business, the point of this podcast is to train a better class of man, right? So our focus has been not necessarily on guys who are already spun up, you know, ready to go. A lot of it has been kind of grassroots, you know, from the ground up. We're building a foundation for people to build up the skill set on. So that demands a certain style, a certain uh, type of, of content. And we can't get into as much detail as we would like with a lot of these things. We can't do these deep dives into all the hows, all the whys, all the rabbit trails. It kind of has to, you know, fit and apply to as many people as you know we possibly can so there's just another avenue another opportunity for us to really dig into the things that we're passionate about and then the only other thing i really wanted to shout was our discord so we made a discord server this is our community our community of like-minded individuals where we can all talk hash things out ask questions and all get better together so super excited about that all those links will be in the description. But for right now, let's get into it. So land nav crash course, our reference for today is FM3-25.26, map reading and land navigation. Yeah, with that being said, we're throwing the book yep. out. So this is everything. So funny thing happens when you you know, actually join the army is you don't really read from an FM that much. Your team leader, your squad leader might tell you to, but no. then you'll just get a hit pocket training on it later. So, 
it is what it is. Great to reference. Great to know. But let's get into the nitty gritty. So what is lane nav? So lane navigation is, by definition, the process of using a compass, establishing a pace count, and utilizing the information about distance and degree between two designated points to navigate a predetermined path from beginning to end. In short, it's finding your you way. navigate on the land. Yep. You use the tools that you would normally use for navigation to find your way between two points, and hopefully you make it to the right one. Right. So as anyone who has done night land nav, you know that doesn't always yeah, happen. I'm about like night land nav. Not now. <laughs> it can't hurt me today. Not in this class. In, yeah. in a later not class, yes. Class. Not right now. <laughs> so utilizing your compass, whether that's, uh, I mean, there's several different types of compasses, but utilizing your there compass, is. utilizing your map. A map is a graphical graphical representation of the earth's surface drawn to scale as seen from above so it is your snapshot of your area of operations where you are so utilizing that utilizing your compass you are you know one focused on figuring out where you are your location right mm -hmm. then you're focusing on a secondary location whether that's you know your rally point, whether that's your actual mission area, whether that's a cache, whether that's fill in the blank, and then how you're actually going to get from A to B. Not as simple as simply going in a straight line, because a lot of other factors are coming into play here, but that's what you're working with. Specifically, when we're talking about maps, we are talking about military maps, what we use when we were in the service, right? So these maps were, I think they're generally modeled off of the UTM uh, maps, so the Universal Transverse Mercator maps, but they had the MGRS, the Military Grid Reference System, superimposed onto that map. So basically all that is, is your UTM and UPS maps, with this grid, this MGRS superimposed on top of it so that you can use this grid to provide coordinates for anywhere on the globe. And because these are military maps, we, it was always stressed that these are sensitive documents. You do not want to lose these. You do not want these to fall into anyone else's hands that they shouldn't be in, i.e. The Taliban, the enemy, right. whoever. But as such, it was always emphasized to have security, retain possession of your map. And that still applies to you guys because if you don't, it essentially means that you've lost your map and you could be screwed at that point. So, well, not just you, but definitely maintain security. Well, not just map. you, you and your buddies. I mean, what do you right. do with your map, right? right. Unless if you, you have, if you don't memorize every single, you know, point that you need to remember on that map, you mark it. So if you have right. art, your headquarters element, a supply line, Ooh. a cache, uh -huh. all of that, yeah, true, you know, true movements, you know, that not as much. Most of the time, you know, when we were in, we would use like laminated sheets of paper with, you know, like a map marker, so you could, you know, rub it off with an alcohol yep. powder, you know, something, but. That might not be your context. So always, always, always keep control of that map. If you cannot, for whatever reason, it needs to be destroyed to where, you know, no one can read it. You know, that is a huge security concern. I know that in the past we've talked about uh, enemy prisoner of war. Uh, the 5S is just your procedures for, you know, taking in that prisoner of war. Actually searching them will do in a different class, but maps are highly, highly sought after, highly valuable for their, mm -hmm. uh, for their, intelligence so moving on thanks a lot six so yeah <laughs> here for you but <laughs> 90 i want to say 95 percent of the time that we dealt with the mgrs the military grid reference system we were giving out um uh, eight to ten digit grids 
sometimes you'd use six, but that is basically just like getting you into the general. I'd, I'd say eight hard and fast. There's no real point in doing a 10 digit grid for what it's yeah. worth. Not unless you're calling for yeah. fire. Like, then hell, I'd do a 12 digit grid if it came down They'll to miss it. miss anyways. I don't, I, yeah, I don't trust artillery to save my life because, you know, I don't. Anyway. <laughs> These grid coordinates, especially the first, what, four, uh, were specific to an area of the globe. Right. So, because, sorry, uh, mean some your tools, man, but specifically, so breaking it down, we'll have visuals for you guys on our Instagram page, uh, actually breaking down, yep. uh, this grid account, what it looks like, uh, but. To start off, so an example of a grid that you would get would be something like one eight tango Victor Juliet one two tree four five six seven eight. And the great thing about military grids is that no matter what branch you're in, no matter you know if you're the lowliest private up to you know higher echelons of leadership you have something to work with there. You know, it, it is standardized. Yes. So the beginning of that, so the first two numbers, then the letter, right? So one eight tango. So that is your grid zone designator. So using MGRS, the world's divided into 60 grid zones. So right there, we have narrowed down our search area. So your grid zone designator and your 100,000 meter square. So 100,000 meter square following the grid zone designator are your two letters and oh, just for, so your 100,000 meter square following the first two numbers and the letter are the second two letters. So first letter being your column and your second letter being your row. So your northings and your eastings. So one eight tango then Victor Juliet narrows it down even further. So your Grizzle designator and your 100,000 meter square are the only two components in the system that reference definitive squares, right? So you hear that, you can reference, you know, a map of the globe with the MGRS and you have a general idea of where, you know, this is taking place. Everything after that, that's, you know, dependent, but these are your big, you know, bigger picture, you know, hey, this is where we're at, kind of thing. Yeah, it basically puts you in the country that you could be right. in, more or less. <laughs> so one grid square is equal to a thousand meters or a click, a kilometer, right? And what you alluded to earlier, six. So if I were to give you a four-digit grid, that's a click. That's one thousand meter box. If I gave you a six-digit uh, a six digit grid that'd be that would narrow down to 100 meters eight digit grid down to 10 meters and a 10 digit grid down to one meter anywhere on the globe all those are squared yes squared thank you yes <laughs> just went really hurts they had to clarify because that but one <laughs> one kilometer is very very different from a square yes. kilometer. yeah that's fair just want to throw that out there because ugh, I got to throw out the personal experience because when we were at our NTC rotation going into Afghanistan and we were in a movement, a mounted movement, and these mother called in a god, what was it, a six digit grid that they said that they hit with artillery. That is a lot. That is a massive, massive area to hit with artillery. And they did it just to take us out. Well, if it works, it works. Right. And it's just like, it, it, as soon as we heard the, uh, the OCs call that in, we were just like, what? <laughs> but why? They they hit an entire grid square? Like, do they have that many shells? Like, what, what commander okayed that? So in so in practice, when we're talking about uh, these 
you know, eight digit, six digit, four digit grids that that example I gave you earlier. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So you're reading to the right and up when you're actually looking at your map. So one, two, three, four, you're reading that first. So you'd pan over and then five, six, seven, eight, you'd pan up. We will give you guys visuals. We know it's extremely hard to, to grasp, to understand, you know, over, you know, just our voice, but we will give you the tools in our Instagram. I can understand how that'd be completely like against how you think it would. I mean, normal people read, of course, left to right. So you've got at least that much right. But then to go up from there. Right. You think it'd be you'd, down. The normal person would think it'd be down, right? Yeah. But no, it's the exact opposite. You read left to right, south to north. All right. And map scale. So when we're talking about map scale, we're talking about so map distance divided by ground distance. So what you see on the map represented by what is actually on the ground. So a uh, small scale map uh, is typically one to one million. What you see on your map is essentially a uh, state. No, I one to one million. Yeah. No, it's like a uh, continent. Well, one to one million. You said continent, right? Oh, right. No, you're right. Yeah, so one to one, one to one million would essentially be the size of the United States. Right. One to seventy-five thousand. So that's your medium-scale map. That's you know roughly the size of a state. That's the that's the size right. of a state. Yeah. And then a large-scale map. What we you normally use, what junior leaders use. So it's your you know quote-unquote tactical uh, size map. That's you know more the size of a county. So where you'll actually be able to have actionable information on that is your is your large scale, but is your small scale picture. Right. And then actually looking at your map. So the colors on a map, blue, green, black, red, brown, and brown. So blue is water. That is your aquatics, your lakes, your streams, your bodies of water. Green is your vegetation. Different shades, different densities. Fairly simple, fairly intuitive. Black are man-made features. So roads, railroad tracks, building clusters, things of that nature. Red, brown, that is your contour line. So contour lines, how we represent uh, depth, shape, terrain features. It's got brown mixed into it so that you're able to observe that while under a red light. Damn it. You, th you thought you Damn, thought I was, I was going to that? mention that? Really? I did. Goodness. And red. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Do you know why it's red brown? Uh, and red, your <laughs> main rows and boundaries. Keep in mind that if something is only red, it's going to be washed out if you are only using red light. Right. Uh, and that's why those are in the color red because they're not as important as the right. other stuff. All right, so you want to hit our five major terrain features? Sure. So the five major terrain features, uh, the acronym that we always learned it by was uh, HVRSD. So we always said that as hidden valid ranch salad dressing. So those are your hills, your valleys, your ridges, your saddles, and your depressions. So of course we all know what a hill is. Hill is just an area of high ground. Uh, it's seen on a map as contour lines forming uh, concentric circles. So they're just circling up. You're going upwards, and they just get smaller and smaller and smaller. And the smallest that indicates that you're going. Sorry, in case you're going up, the smallest circle is the peak. Correct. The last one you see is the peak. Uh, following that, we have your valleys. So these are stretched out grooves in the land, formed usually by streams or rivers uh, over time. And these usually have running water uh, coursing through it. Contour lines are usually in the shape of a U or a V. So when you think of a valley, three sides of the valley are, are high ground. So there's three sides that are higher elevation. There's one side that is lower elevation. Everything is sloping down. After that, we have ridge. This is a sloping line of high ground. 
these contour lines are formed contour lines forming a ridge are normally a u or a v shaped so it's the exact opposite of your valleys after that is your saddle uh, that's a low point between two areas of higher ground so it's usually the area uh, between two hills you can usually see it because it looks like some boobs that's how we learned it or an hourglass figure or an hourglass figure sure it looks like boobs or boobs yeah after that we have our depression so that's where we're all at in life right now uh, no it's actually a low point in the ground <laughs> it's a hole you're not helping i couldn't help it dude i had to how could i not hit that like seriously but for real if you are having any sort of amount of depression get it worked out the world's bear with you in it anyway we'll back put, to our regular uh, schedule program we'll put a link in the description this week's episode is brought to you by FieldSeats.com. FieldSeats.com is an e-commerce, federally licensed firearms dealer. They provide virtual reviews on brand new firearms, optics, and gear, where at the end of the review, they give away the item being reviewed to an attendee. Currently, they've got reviews ranging from the Shadow Systems MR920 for $35, the Springfield M1A for $65, or Chichicon ACOG with RMR for $60. Each review has limited seating, so your chances of winning the giveaway are that much higher. Check out FieldSeats.com to purchase your reviews and enter to win the item being reviewed, and use code STRONGMEN to get 10% off your order. Be sure to check out their Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Field underscore Seats for updates on products and other tips and info. Use code STRONGMEN to receive 10% off your entire purchase at FieldSeats.com. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks for listening, guys. Now back to the episode. Stay in the fight. So a depression is <laughs> a depression is a low point in the ground. It's essentially a hole. It's defilade. It's represented by closed contour lines, tick marks pointing downward towards the low ground. So it'll look. It'll, sorry. Have, uh, so looking at a depression, it's you know sort of whatever the shape your depression is, but then it'll have little little teeth marks. Almost looks like half of a railroad ha like half of the railroad ties but they're all facing in towards the center yep that's depression and i also just wanted to we didn't really touch on contour lines before we went into terrain features but contour lines are the little squigglies they see on maps and these will have the actual elevation uh elevation numbered on certain lines so you can look at a map is to help you translate a two-dimensional image into three-dimensional space so the closer Listen. contour lines are together because each map will have different contour line intervals so feet meters whatever the closer contour lines are together the steeper that change is either up or down the farther apart they are, the more gradual that elevation changes. Minor terrain features. So draw, spur, and cliff. A draw is the initial formation of a valley. So initial, it is not level ground. It is very jagged, very difficult to maneuver on. Um, once again, these contour lines are shaped into U or a V. So in a tactical situation, I would never, ever want to be in a draw or a valley. Forget that noise. Yeah, draws, draws are murder. But I'm focusing on the initial formation because a valley, a lot of space. A lot of space, gradual, you know, slope down you know, into, your, into your fields, into your prairies, everything. This is not a draw. A draw is just beginning. You have almost no footing there. You know, it, yeah, it's, it's miserable country. Climbing up steep slopes anyway is an absolute pain, but also having to do that out of a valley up sometimes an actual like gradual slope, but nine times out of 10, not so much is if you have bad knees, it's absolutely murder and it makes you have those depressive thoughts. If you have good knees, they won't be good for long. <laughs> yeah. 
especially if you have to climb up a few draws. Goodness. Honestly, one of my worst memories in Afghanistan was we were getting set in, in a position on this freaking ridge. And they're like, you know, seven, go over to the sergeant, you know, whatever. And so I'm puff above, I go down and I come back up mm. and I hit a false freaking, mm, I hit a summit. false summit. Yep. I'm like, oh, finally get to the top. And it's just a little dip on, on higher. Yep. And the, the team leader saw me just started buzzing up laughing because just the, my face fell. I was like, this is hell. Yeah. That, that. That instant depressing. Yeah. 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 That, that reminds well, I had me the shale. Do you remember the shale? That was like two up. foot slash. Yeah. And you'd, yeah. Oh, miserable. Miserable stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me also of the time we were supposed to get uh, picked up by uh, Hilo for Nextville. And it got into. Uh, God, what do they call it? Uh, red hour? Pink hour? Something like that. It's where like the night vision doesn't really work too great. But anyway, they wouldn't come pick us up because it was right. going to be dark. Yeah. So we had to hike out of, I guess, go ahead and bleed this out, out of valley from the top of those freaking mountains. And I can't tell you how many god <laughs> false summits I hit on the way out. And you motherfuckers had to come pick us up. You know what was the worst for me? It was one mission... It was like one of those things where we left at like two in the morning, three in the morning, right? And mm-hmm. it was on several of those. Yeah, we flew in, and then you know we jumped off, nods on all the stuff, but then as soon as the heel left, it was darkness, mm-hmm. and it was darkness that I've never experienced before in my life. Like nods down, I could not see my hand. In front of my, like, it was just this oppressive, oppressive darkness. And I remember my squad leader, like, coming up and, like, bumping into me and then, like, grabbing my shoulder and be like, Seven, is that you? <laughs> and I'm like, Yes, yeah, Art, what's up? And he's like, Okay, hey, we're moving. Where? Where are we moving? Where are, how did you get here? And, you know, not, not just that, not that we couldn't see anybody, you know, because that could change all our SOPs. Then we put like cat eyes on the back, you know, so that everyone could see, right? You know, so mm-hmm. the talent could see us too. It was great. But then but they didn't have nods back then, not until we left the date, until that's when they had nods. Goodness. But then, like, as we were leaving, like, I was like cracking my shins on like rocks that are size of like good sized dogs. And they were, like and they were everywhere. I'm like, the hell is this place? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it yeah. wasn't until like yeah, exactly. five o'clock that we could actually see anything. I was like, this is ridiculous. We didn't even go anywhere. Like, Those were the missions that pissed me off. Because I went on several of those and only, only I think two of them actually had clear skies. So the stars, yeah. the moon would actually give you any. Yeah, give light. you loom. If there was cloud yeah. cover, you weren't seeing Ball. No, no, you At need all. loom. And that's what people don't understand about nods. It's not magic. You know, there is so much that goes into no. actually utilizing nods effectively. Like, if you don't have good loom, pff, good luck, man. You need you need something to magnify if you're going to use nods. I mean, they do have that feature where you can actually turn on in the artificial loom, but it only goes so yeah. far. Right. Um, anyway, that was a fun rabbit trail anyway tangent hello patreon happy patrons uh spur so spur is a short continuous line of higher ground so that's normally drawn down the side of a ridge these are your your offshoots off your ridge the little fingers that kind of you know spent down all the way down all the way down your ridge line uh fun little bit of topography there there's your your false summits and everything else yeah, yeah, those are what we talked about. Sometimes. Cliff, a cliff is a vertical or near vertical abrupt change in the land. So you're walking, you're walking. Ah! That is a cliff. Yeah, it's you're walking, you're walking, you're falling uh, on a map. Is your it is your last is your last contour line, and like a depression, it bears tick marks facing the low ground. So 
sometimes. You, you better hope it does. Um, <laughs> so if you're if you're looking at your map <laughs> and you you know, have this valley that goes down and then all the contour lines just stop and there's your tick marks all along. It's not a good time. No, don't go that way. I mean, you can, but somebody's going to be scraping you off the ground with a spatula. You can if you're not a coward. <laughs> supplemental. Yeah, man, fall off the cliff. Supplemental terrain feature. So cut and fill. These are both man-made. So a cut is where we've actually removed ground to cut through high ground. So think uh, so, so think like a railroad or a road where we've cut or in the side. The yeah, right. So we, we've cut in the side of a mountain. That is a cut. So on a yeah. on a map, uh, the contour lines just follow the follow the cut. There may be little tick marks where you, know, you have that depression that'll be marked by the actual elevation change. Uh, and fill also man made, like we said, it's filling in of a low area. C can you think of a good example for for a fill? I can't really think of anything, dude. I was just thinking, I was like, how the hell do I explain this? You, you do a fill and it becomes flat ground. Like, yeah. Regardless. Or a hill. Like, I, I don't. Regardless, on a map, the control lines will follow the, follow the fill. So you'll be able to see it annotated. Will you actually have a felt change you know, on the ground? I do not know. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's, so like you said, it is a man made feature resulting from filling in a low area usually to form a level bed for a railroad or a road. Okay. Okay. So the way to differentiate this on a map is you'll see the looking at map being acquainted with map, you'll see the, the natural uh, flow of contour lines. A fill will not be natural because it's man-made. So you're going to see hard lines, straight lines, and that's how you'll be able to differentiate. But if you're following like a railroad track or a road, that's also going to be annotated with, you know, with color. With yeah. And I mean, even even if it doesn't have color on the map, like with the cuts, the tick lines will be going in. With the fill lines, they'll be going out. Right. So that's your easiest way of telling. That's about the only way of telling. Yeah. So moving into actual land navigation let's talk about pace count yay pace count do you remember so, your pace count uh no not at all and it constantly changes that is the thing about pace count it is determined for each individual and it's almost never the same for that individual have you ever noticed that like well we did like three or four pace counts and they were always different you just did the average well so you're betting on someone being able to walk the same way over uneven ground for a hundred yeah. meters, right? That's how you get a good pace count. So are you going to have the same exact gate every single time? No. What if you nope. try again in six months? No. It's going to be different. What if nope. you have an injury? What if you lose your gain weight? What if, what if, what if, right? So pace count is a determinant for being able to measure a hundred meters. How many steps does it take you yep. to walk 100 meters? And you use this when lane navigating, specifically when you're dead reckoning. So I'm here. I want to walk here. It's 100 meters. I have to shoot this azimuth and walk this many steps. That's your pace count. So a lot of people have pace count beads on a string of 550 cords. So every well you count every other step and then every 10 steps you mm -hmm. move a bead up or down depending on the system you have some guys use the um where they like the quick release for shot cord what are those called you know what i'm talking about little cinch things yeah i've never seen somebody use those but that's pretty yeah, cool right better than beads oh anyway just a system to so to help you remember uh, you were going to talk about dead reckoning. Dead reckoning. Dead reckoning, also known as uh, point navigation. Well, I guess no, it's technically no, point it's not. navigation, also known as no, dead, it's not. Reckoning. It's dead reckoning. You guys all called it dead reckoning. I always taught it as point navigation or dead reckoning. Regardless, it's the same freaking it's because thing. Because you were subhuman somehow. 
It's Dead Reckoning. It's because I was smarter than you and better than you. Anyway, um, so Dead Reckoning, point navigation, uh, it is the process of calculating one's position by estimating the direction and distance traveled rather than by using landmarks, astronomical observations, or electronic navigation methods. This is done by starting from a known point and strictly following a predetermined azimuth and distance. This can be done in two steps. Use a protractor and graphic scale to determine direction and distance from one point to another on a map. Then you use your compass and a means of measuring distance to apply that information on the ground. So you're literally shooting an azimuth with your compass and praying. It's a little more complicated than that, but dead reckoning is finding a coordinate on the map and then finding it on the ground. Which if anybody's ever done land nav in a freaking forest at Fort Benning can tell you that's a little harder than what that sounds like on paper. Not if you had all the points written down in your notebook like you should have. We're not going to go into that. But yes. So, anyway, so example. An example of this. An example of this is you plot a direction and distance, then using your compass, pull out the correct azimuth to your direction of travel, find a landmark, also known as a steering mark on that bearing slash azimuth, and just walking to it. That is dead reckoning. Point navigation right there. And once you reach your landmark, do it again. Shoot another azimuth and repeat that process. Over and over and over until you get to shoot where you're going. Walk, shoot and walk, shoot and walk. This is done shoot in walk. short distances, small segments. Yeah. Because that's all the, you can do. The shorter distance, the smaller segment, the less room you have for error. Correct. Because once again, we'll have visuals of a protractor of an azimuth that you guys can look at on our Instagram, on our Substack. But Azimuth is a degree, a degree representation of, of direction, right? So when you shoot an azimuth, you're talking about a specific point. So you have to think if you point straight ahead of you and say so you have to walk 10 feet, you probably won't deviate left or right walking that 10 feet. Right. But yeah, you're not going to have if much you drift. point and then you walk 100 feet, you have more of an opportunity to stray right or left. It's the same exact idea right. with dead wrecking. So you're trying to minimize that drift. And you know during this navigation using dead wrecking, you're periodically using resection, using your azimuth, using your compass, your tools available, and terrain association to confirm your location as you go. Right. This method is the easiest to teach and learn, but it also requires a very high level of control. Like you were saying, you literally have to start, or you literally have to keep shooting an azimuth, and you have to do it over short distances because, like you said, the slightest deviation mm -hmm. from that azimuth, aim small, miss small, and if you're shooting, you're aiming far, you're going to miss if you deviate even a tenth of a degree, like you can miss that mark by, depending on how far you shoot that, you can miss that by a mile. Well, and you know, if you're not completely sure of your location, you have to check that, you know, because if you're right. in, if you're somewhere where you don't think you are, or you think you're somewhere that you're not, and then you're off shooting asthmas and walking, you know, that's a, that's a really big deal. That's a bad way in all of this. So figuring out your location, double checking your location, actually shooting your azimuth, walking, stopping, shooting. This takes time. It's a very time consuming process. And then there's the Lord's way of land navigation. Oh, 95% of the time. You know, I love to use 95, but I'm, I can't say all the time. So it's as close as I can get to it without actually sounding like it's all the time. I'll say 99. 95% of the use time. I use terrain association literally 99% of the time. Unless if I absolutely had to. I would terrain associate until I was within 100 meters. 100%. And then, and then I yeah, would exactly. dead reckon. So yeah, exactly. terrain association. Nobody. It is the ability to yeah. identify terrain features or landmarks on the ground. 
by the contour intervals or landmark symbols depicted on map. So it is literally you being able to make the connection between what you see on a map and what you see on the ground. And then you are navigating using that information. So think of it this way. When you were a kid, when you were romping around, you know, getting in trouble, you know, till the streetlights turned on, when you yep. guilty when you were trying to find the grocery store, the movie theater, the ballpark, your friend's girlfriend's house. house, anything. Yeah. You didn't dead reckon to get there. You use landmarks you knew. That's all yep. terrain association is. That's it. So some tips to help get you there. Be sure that your map is properly oriented. Because if you're looking at a screwed up map, you're going to have a rough time actually, you know, figure out where you are on that map. And I'm going to laugh. And you'll probably cry later. Uh, observe the... I won't because I won't be there. Observe the steepness, the shape of your slopes, your relative elevations, the orientation of features in relation to your position and the position of features you see. So if there is a hill right next to a saddle or a depression right next to a ridgeline, find that on your map. Make sure that it's oriented in the correct way. So it's a, another check, another double tap to make sure that you are looking and operating off what you can, you know, see and experience, right? Or you could be lucky to be somewhere near civilization and see a radio tower out there. Like those aren't marked on yes. maps. Yes. To and a is, high, high degree that of is accuracy. Probably one of the, yes, that is one of the easiest ways to actually do terrain association. Because if you can see that thing, you can see all the terrain in front of you. You know, you can find out exactly where you are to a high degree of accuracy. Well, that's actually what I did during, you know, our land out courses. So if I saw yeah. a radio tower, I, I, I know, I know that this is here. Okay. Which radio tower on my map is next to those two hills at around that elevation? Mm -hmm. And, you know, off you go. Ta -da. So that's another thing. So using all the tools, all the information at your disposal, right? So hydrography water if you see a creek a river a lake a pond uh, you know a stock pond man-made features railroads roads buildings uh vegetation everything everything anything and everything right all the information that you gather will be useful to you you know utilizing utilizing terrain association you're literally trying to figure out what you see on the map and make it make sense to what you're actually seeing on the ground I have said this before and I will say it again because this does apply because your life is on the line. The only fair fight is the fight you win. And that does apply to land nav because you are trying to get somewhere alive. And if you get lost, you could probably die. Yeah. Well, think about in an operational environment, you can't spend hours and hours, right. you know, pouring over your map, trying to figure out where you are. You know, you need to figure right. out where you are. You need to get where you're going, you know, quickly. You can literally listen to all the podcasts in the world. You can read all the books on it, but until you set a map down in front of you and actually go outside, go on your front porch and use it, like literally use it and practice. It's not that hard, but unless you do that, you're not going to be able to learn this period. A really great tool for this that anybody can access is CalTopo. So CalTopo.com. It is a software online where you can type in your location, type in any location, and get a map of that area. And you can change the filters. You can change the, the overlays on that map to where you can have a very, very efficient, very workable uh, map for land navigation. So... Great tool there. We'll throw a link in the description for you guys. And that brings us to handrails. Handrails are uh, linear features. So we're talking roads, uh, railroads, power lines, etc. Um, these usually run roughly parallel to your direction of travel. You can use your these to um, you can use these to guide your way forward without actually having to pull out your compass and make precise work. So this will only work as long as the handrail follows your direction of travel. Because as we know, roads, railroads, highways, power line, well, not really power lines. Power lines can curve, but the rest definitely will curve. They will not follow your direction of travel completely. 
so you can use them to a certain point to help you guide your way, essentially. Uh, so a prominent train feature near this point is called a catching feature. This is what you're actually heading forward that will actually get you back on your path. Well, I can't tell you how many times we tried land nav in the beginning, got lost and had to find a road and handrail our way back to where we needed to be to our catching feature. Right, so the catching feature, that is the point where you know that you're going to have to part ways with your handrail. So that right. is right before the junction, right before a curve in the road and the railroad, what have you. But that is as close to that, you know, that point, that stepping off point as you can get to. But I just want to say that handrails work very well with train association. So being able to quickly, you know, looking around, oh, well, that railroad takes me, you know, three clicks in the direction I need to go. And you can book it down that, you know, kind of hugging that railroad, not obviously traveling on the railroad, but staying within the wood line and you, know, you can make really great distance, you know, in a, in a good amount of time using that. So the high tension power lines, are probably one of your best bets in highly wooded area because they are actually usually pretty vegetation free and you can just walk for miles because they're going to be going to civilization. So if you are lost, follow the power lines, right? Unless you're in Chernobyl and then you'll end up in reactor four. Don't do Don't that. Don't go to reactor four. <laughs> pro tip. Yeah, pro tip. So that brings us to actually using one of the tools with besides the map, the compass. We've referenced this a bunch of times. Most of the time we're actually talking about a compass. We're talking about a lensatic compass. This is what we had in the army. This is what we use in the military. Constantly. This one's like a little compact. You open it up, has a little magnifying mm -hmm. glass in there, has the little bit of wire that goes that goes straight down through the window, so you actually uh, look at a terrain feature as you're as you're shooting your azimuth. Yep, handy little thing. Didn't really use it too much, but it's a handy thing. Right, but there are many kinds. So, so lensatic. There's oh yes. Oh Lord, I don't even know the vernacular for the. Uh, the one you mainly use on map, it, it's normally see-through, uh, car-shaped. It's like an what an orienteering compass, essentially. Orienting compass, something like that. I don't know. It, yeah, it's clear plastic. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes has a ruler on it. it. It's helpful to a point. Yeah, great tool. So a great example. Uh, someone actually walking through how to use that type of compass is Redbird Tactical on Instagram. We'll throw a link in the description for them, yeah. but they have story highlights that cover all this information very well, very succinctly, very great information. So they're a great resource for that. So Compass utilizing magnetism is sensitive to metal. What do you know? Correct. So if you are you know, running gunning with your rifle, then you go out to pull a bearing with your compass you're gonna have to throw that rifle behind you mm. otherwise that's going to be thrown off so machine guns telephone barbed wires trucks tanks high tension power lines anything with a steel, steel helmet anything with a lot of metal is going to is going to affect that compass so keep that in mind so typically there is a uh, a recommended separation distance for these and it kind of depends on what it is. Usually your high tension power lines, because it has such strong electrical currents, they recommend you stay about 55 meters away. So that's what, like 165, 165 feet? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So about, so 55 meters, um, a truck, tank, field gun, whatever, big pieces of metal, about 18 meters. Telephone, barbed wires, about 10 meters. So 30 feet machine guns. You're going to want to stay about six feet away from them. Steel helmet or rifle half a meter. So a foot, foot and a half somewhere in there. So just throw that rifle behind your back or set it down on the ground and you're good. So also on a map in real life, there are actually three types of North. It seems kind of redundant, but it's true. True North is the actual true geographic North. North Pole. It is not the North Pole. Well, okay, so 
technically, yes, it is the geographic north pole. After that, you have your magnetic north. This is your actual north pole. Funny enough, this is the north based on your compass bearing. So magnetic north. Compass has magnets. There you go. After that, you have your grid north. This is your north based on what's on your map. This is the direction the map faces. That's your north. These three things do not ever line up. Like ever. <laughs> have never seen true north, magnetic north, and grid north ever line well, up. Well, that's important to note because when you're when we're talking about shooting bearings with your compass, each map in the not the legend in the marginal information key key it, yeah, the key it's going to have what's called a declination angle so this angle is what you actually take into account when you are shooting a bearing on your compass you have to add or subtract that angle in order to translate that to your map in order yeah. to actually you know navigate using that map effectively all right, guys, if you're still here, thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening. We know this was like a you know, journey from a garden hose, but this was our crash course into land navigation. We intend fully intend on breaking this down fully into equal and separate parts later, but we wanted to present you guys something to get you off the ground. The big takeaway I want you guys to take from this is that everything that we've laid out today, these are all tools. And the best way to utilize these tools for actually navigating, for actually you know, going through land navigation is to use them together. So don't just rely on terrain association. Don't just rely on dead reckoning. Find your happy medium. You know, use all these tools, make it work. That is by far the best solution to the problem of land navigation. And practice all of them. Like what works for somebody may not work for you. Right. And what works for you may not work for somebody else. You may be a dead reckoning person. The other person may be train association. Yeah. And something that's always stuck with me, the best way to learn information is to get prepared to teach it. That's where you find your holes. That's where you find what you do and don't understand fully. And you know, if you're teaching someone else, you're making the community better. That's you know, fulfilling our, our mission statement. So keep after it. Once again, guys, a little bit of housekeeping. We just kicked off our Patreon. We just kicked off our Discord. You can find those at the link in our description. You can find that at the link in our link tree. But now and going forward, we are the Hard Time Strongman Podcast. Drinking up a better class of man. Thanks for joining us. Stay in the fight. Stay in the fight. Stay in the fight.